Welcome, everyone, to another week with your host, Mordechai Weinberger and Harav Nissen. We're here to take any mental health question that you've got. Of course, two points. It should be, A, family-appropriate, that if your children age seven or eight will be listening, you would feel very comfortable. And number two, that we don't ask uh, parenting questions because it's more skills-based rather than an information or compliments to guide through. So I'd like to thank Harav Nissen for this, Hashem, this wonderful year coming up. And what an amazing year we had till now on the program. And I thank the Rabbi Nishleon for giving me and us the schuss to have this program. And, of course, to all you listeners and to those of you that are brave to call in, we greatly appreciate it. And so many thousands of people's lives are being benefited by this program. So, Baruch Hashem, and looking forward to getting taking your questions or comments. The number to call in to ask your question or to state a comment is 712 Six eight three five eight five eight. That's seven one eight six eight three fifty eight fifty eight. And looking forward to taking your question or your comment. Harav Nissen, there was a topic that we were discussing that we were getting some messages, some questions about. Yes. Correct. We were discussing about the matzav and eretz that some people are afraid and concerned. Correct. Yes. What What would we like to? What were some of the messages that we're getting? What were some of the concerns? It was going in different. In different areas. Yes, it's first of all the, uh, going different. Uh, well, how the kids, how to to transfer to the kids, what the situation is, well, and basically what the fear that coming in. And everybody knows stories about here yeah, some kind of uh, in the street here how to deal with it and uh, how to take all, all all at once. You know, so many so many things coming from the news from Israel and people starting getting getting anxiety and the fear. And this is uh, what uh, I would say tackle this, this you, the profession. Yeah. So we'll discuss it together because you're also someone that has gone through a lot and oh, gone through, I mean, have experienced a lot. And let's clarify the, some levels. Let's start with step one. When they teach us to diagnose in college and the professional level, they teach us that everything out there is normal means it's normal to be concerned or afraid when it's appropriate. It's normal to be sad when you have a difficult time. There's a reason to be sad. It's normal to be excited when it's time to be happy. It's normal to be tense before you start something new. So there are steps in life that when we go through different emotions, it's appropriate. The time that we start diagnosing and labeling is when people have certain issues or they're feeling things that are holding them back that's not appropriate. So unfortunately, if someone loses a parent or a close one, then it's appropriate for them to feel, how will the world go on? How am I supposed to get up the next day? And that's why the Rabbi Nishlam gives us a shiva, where there's seven days where everyone mourns together. You get chizik, you can discuss it, you can, you can cry about it, and the life is not supposed to really be going on those seven days. There are no weddings, you're not supposed to be taking showers, you're not supposed to be feeling good, you're not supposed to be hugging children, you're not supposed to be feeling pleasure. You're supposed to be able to really feel that life stops. Now let's go take it to the Matzav and Eretz Yisrael. There is a level that we have to feel for Achenu Bnei Yisrael. There is that level. And there's now a difference if you are living in Eretz Yisrael to what my response would be to if you're living in Brooklyn to what that response will be. Since the questions that we're getting, it's a lot for those living in Brooklyn. Now let's divide if you're living in Brooklyn into several categories. There's one level if you're living in Brooklyn and you have no family members or you don't know anyone living in Eretz Yisrael, 
or if you're living in Brooklyn and you have family members in Eretz Yisrael, or you know someone that's there that's very close and you're worried and concerned for them. Now, we're not saying that if you don't have anyone living there, you shouldn't care about them and you don't, you're nothing and, you know, there's, they're, 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 we're not connected. Absolutely not. All Klayasol were connected. Klayasol, Raven Zelaza, we're busy checking the updates and to hear what's happening every time Rahman there's a tragedy. We feel hurt, and in several Batamadrashim and Flatbush and in Lakewood, they've, pay, they've gotten together and we're saying to Hillam and we're davening, and the goal is to be Mespaul for our brothers, so we feel it. The question that we're getting, and what I find is that people that are having anxiety, anxiety means that they might not be having family members, but they are now afraid to go out in the street in Brooklyn. We're relatively, for right now, Baruch Hashem, the Rabbi Shalom has made the streets safe. And they're having the fears of, of Yerushalayim or wherever these, these terrors are happening in a safe area where right now it appears to be safe. That is when the anxiety, when we start recognizing that there's an issue. Because many times when you tell them it's not healthy to have the concern that you have, they go, but shouldn't I feel for others? Of course you should. But why are you feeling it as if it's happening to you right now? The level, the thermostat that you're feeling it is a little bit too strong. And once we can understand now, identify the difference, now we can start going into what are some of the steps that we do to balance it and to stabilize that. But we first need to understand level one. To be concerned for our brothers and sisters in there to throw, yes, it's appropriate. To hear that something happened and to feel hurt, Yes, it's appropriate to take out a Tehillim, to learn, to daven, to do a mitzvah. That should be a schus of a shmirah for our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael, of course. At the same time, should you now be stuck in the house? Should when you walk out of your house in Barra Park, Flatbush, Lakewood, wherever you are, Williamsburg, Monroe, wherever you are, Muncie, and you're afraid because you see someone, who knows what they will do, you can be a little hypervigilant, I say, or a little bit vigilant, but the fear should not be there. If you're having the fear, now it's a sign that it might be a little bit more than just fear. First, Arvindisson, what do you say to that idea? First of the all, concept? I want to tell you that I'm 100% with you. And uh, by the way, last night we had a live broadcast from Agudat uh, of Avenue L. Yeah. Rabbi Reisman and Rabbi Tuvia Leaf. And, yes. And, we, uh, and it was a very, very exciting uh, moment that we all together read the Tehillim together and... Uh, we said, Achenu Bnei Israel, you know, Ashurim B'Tzara. You know the song, you know the, the, the sure. words. So sure. everybody was really, really uh, something. That you felt you felt the Achdut, the and I think that every place that you go here, and you can see that uh, we are trying to be one, and this is the, the aim of all this. I see, I look at this situation in Israel a little bit different. I'm very optimistic, because I see that right now, Kadosh Baruch Hu, is basically giving give us a little bit slap in the face, you know. My children wake up, wake up. It's really time for Gula, time for Mashiach. I need you to come together, and you know very well that but beet tzara in in a, in a troubled times, Amisel become one. Still, it's not the the exact the one that we are really expecting. But I tell you, I'm very optimistic, and Bezat Hashem, we see. I I believe that I call I call it tova, and you know this. Everything is for good, and that's why I have to take our the, the the life here, you know, because Gan Eden, the the paradise, is here, if we know how to look, and the right bright glasses. Yes, 
And I want to remind everyone the number to call in that's now available to ask your question is 718-683-5858, and looking forward to taking your question or your comment. Now let's go ahead and deal now with the second level. The second level is what happens if someone is afraid to go out? They are concerned. And even that we need to divide into two levels, means into adults and to children. That means children is very different the way we deal with children than with adults because children have a very active imagination. That's the beauty of when we teach children information, they integrate it right away. Their imagination, their imagination part of the brain is wide open. So if we never tell them that something is happening or there are stabbings going on and it's very scary and the matzah is critical, these children will feel it to a very extreme level. Which is an, and same, sometimes, which I have to work on some of the children or when they're adults, is when they feel the way people put too big of a pressure on them. Means saying because the rabbinical listens to the tefillahs of children more, they start feeling responsible that it's in their power. And not only it's in their power, but they must get it to stop. So if they daven, then the rabbinical will listen to the tefillahs and then automatically it will stop. And if they didn't, if it didn't stop, it means either they didn't daven well enough, so it's their fault, or Hashem didn't listen to them, so again it's their fault, or they did an Avera where they didn't listen to their parents so well, and therefore again it's their fault, and they do, now they start feeling responsible. So it's important that when we tell our children about it, what we need to say is, as, as you said, our listen to aside from Hashem that we should do tshuva, we should do more care for our friends more, help out our friends more, daven a little more, but not to the extremes that it's within them. Which means you can tell them, but if Hashem still wants to do what He wants to do, He'll still do it. So we're not controlling Hashem in with those terms. We can only daven. And even if Hashem doesn't listen to our tefillah, it's not that He doesn't listen, it's that He heard it. He's saving it for some better time. That's what the Rabbanim are telling us to say. We know every tefillah is never going to shove. But Right now, Hashem still wants us to daven and wants us, as you said, to be ba'achtos. It's important for children to know that they can help us through tefillah, that their tefillah helps, and, but they're not responsible and they don't feel this pressure. Another point that we want to tell the children is that we are, at least in America, those of us here, it seems that we're safe, so they don't have to worry. They can daven and we can feel bad for our brothers and sisters in Eretz but it's important for them to hear that they're safe. Now, for those children that are in Eretz Yisrael, it's also important for them to hear that they are safe. And what it means is that they are safe means that the yeshivas, the schools, are doing the appropriate steps for safety. They're having security guards here. They're having the children when they go with the buses, when they're going home, family members should be taking them home. If they see someone that looks suspicious, stay away from them. They're not allowing kids to go on vacations. There are a lot of trips that were supposed to be going out to your shalayim from other areas in there to stroll. They're not doing that. Means again, not Hashem saying that we don't need the shmir and the Rabbi Shalom is not helping us, the Rabbi Shalom is not protecting us. The other way around, Hashem is protecting us. It's now a time that we need to be careful if you're near to Israel, but you still need life. You can still go out, but in a protected, guarded manner. So that also makes it clear to the children that it's that even if you're in a place where there are some traumas happening, there are still derechateva steps that we can do, and we daven for the siyata deshmaya for the shmira of Hashem. Now, yeah, yeah this is really a strong point about the kids to to let the kids not feel guilty. And sometimes I saw that, oh, you didn't do it, you didn't pray very well, that that's what happened. 
this is nothing that, that's very very good point about it and uh, to give the kids some security that's right the need for a kid to feel safe because if not that's many times where a lot of fears and anxieties happen means I work unfortunately many times with children after there's a certain trauma in Clyosol it could be in another country but there's a fear maybe this will happen to us so we want to give them the security that there's a derecha you're protected. You have mommy, tati, the yeshiva, the schools protecting you. We are aware that there's a trauma that's if you're in Eretz and we're not just saying go ahead and walk in the streets. We're doing it in a way that it's safe. Some schools finished early because then they were able to have more protection. Sometimes parents were able to come. They're doing different steps. They're having one parent take home several kids in that area. They're setting up a system that kids should feel that they're safe, and those that are dealing with it are now extra vigilant. So they're, they've put 3,500 more police on the streets to be aware. They're, we're doomed to their hatev, but we need to realize everything is from Hashem. But again, the concern that we want is that kids have an active imagination, and therefore they could be creating a lot greater images, negative images, and we want to create the positive safety images. So you want to talk about how Hashem is protecting us. How to every bullet there's an address where Benjamin knows what he's doing, and he's putting everyone in their places so Hashem is here to watch us and protect us. And we'll dive in a little more for the Shmirah. Now, let's go to one other area that's very important. And this is something that's usually very controversial. And it starts as follows. Parents, and please let's take this gentle. That is, that when we suffer from anxiety and our kids start being afraid, please realize that we've got to focus on you. Don't come to me with your children. Let's not call about the children that are afraid. The first question I usually ask is, who suffers from anxiety, you or your husband? When you have an inner fear, everyone around you just doesn't feel confident. Quickly say to him, say to him, there's a tragedy going on. They don't even know what's going on, but that, tra- that fear gets in them. We're not safe. And that is something that we want to try to focus on. When you have that inner confidence, then you feel a change. Then you see a change. Then you feel that life can move on and life can continue moving. And then when you tell the child that now it's okay, keep on going, that is good. But when we have that inner fear, it's very hard for us to reassure someone, even if we do it logically. But if we don't have the emotional backing within ourselves, then there is a trigger. Again, the number to call in is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And I want to say uh, that to yeah. our dear listeners, this is, a, this is a Monday night, 8.16. This is a live show. And yeah. it's not a recording, so... Please uh, give us a call. Yeah. Yes. And uh, along these lines, we'd like to go take, what was this message that we got over here that you sent me this text? Uh, I, I read, I, <laughs> I didn't, All right. I, I didn't have this message, you know. All right. So the question is, someone who wants to give a comment about divorcing. A Hungarian Holocaust survivor once told me, this is on a whole new subject, a new style here in America. You need to understand each other. I never heard this in Europe. We knew we had to give in, and we didn't divorce so fast. Who said I need to understand? Mordechai, do you agree? So, <laughs> what do you say to this? Sort of a concept that husbands and wives don't have to understand each other. You know what? Uh, first of all, uh, this is you know the same uh, story uh, in 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 Hungary, in Persia, and uh, you know in Turkey. We didn't have this situation. It's only. It's true because it's a total different world right now. It's I know that we are the I would say the internet generation, the the, the generation of the open eyes. Even it's not good, but this the true. Uh, that's all true. 
and we have to understand each other very good. I won't say that a, a couple has to understand very good each other and be a friend, not agree about things, but be at least a, a, a good ear to the other side of... Because otherwise I think that the outside world today is so tempted, it's so uh, uh, confusing uh, to, the, to the couple, young, especially young couple, and it's leading to a divorce. It cannot just say that it's not happened in my house, as so nobody, uh, it won't happen. We have to understand the other side. It's no, que- no question, in my opinion. Right. Yep. So what you are saying is, what you are saying is that maybe different generations, they had different needs, but we can't take this generation with the past generation's needs, and this generation, there is a need for understanding, and unfortunately, when there's a spouse that's not able to understand or relate to someone else, then it is one of the causes that are happening for divorces. And what I would add on to that is, to what you're saying is, let's not speak about what others said about last generation. Let's listen to the Rabbanim, this generation. And the Rabbanim are talking about couples needing to understand each other. And we are speaking, and we are having people that before we get married to go speak to those Hasan the Kal teachers that give us schmoozing and just tell us about preparing us. And they're all saying that we need to understand and how to communicate. If you'd like to change your question, what is the difference between last generation and this generation? There are many differences, and we can go into why that generation, maybe they did not need to understand each other that much as a couple, and why this generation you do. I'll just give one. In that generation, there was very little interaction, many times between husbands and wives. They would leave at 6 in the morning, and they might even go away for many weeks at a time, and therefore it was, it was making parnasa or they would go be in a wherever it was, there was a lot less interaction. This generation, we're very interactive. Same thing with raising our children. Children used to go to work at 13, 14. They would be in yeshiva till 7, or max the age of 12 and 13. After that, they'd go out to work. Today, Bokshan, we have a yeshiva system. You look at the yeshivas in pre-war Europe, and you look at the sizes. They had a big yeshiva, had 200 seats, 400 seats. They had more from Eden then than we have now. Where were the issues? Today we've got which cheder, big yeshivas, doesn't have a thousand kids to them, or several hundred in each of them. Where were they all? It was a completely different generation. So I'm not going, I'm not trying to say what is better, what is right, or what is wrong. All I am saying is that it was a different generation. And the Rabbanim in that generation were focusing on their concepts. The Rabbanim in this generation are focusing, yes, on understanding yourself and, yes, on getting along. And that is extremely important to be able to connect and to be able to make it work. Along those lines, we have over here another question that you sent me, and it's similar to this, but a completely different topic. Thank you for this wonderful show. My issue is a little different. When it comes to play in daily life, but more so when tragedies strike. I don't feel empathy. I know logically that tragedy happened, and I know that it's bad, but it bothers me tremendously. I don't feel it. How can I train myself to feel with the heart, not only with my brain? I'm a married male, mid-30s. It also bothers my wife at times that there's a lack of empathy. Although she understands that it's not because I don't care, any advice would be greatly appreciated. I first would like to tie in your question to what we were just discussing about understanding each other. In a marriage today, in what we are going, there is a couple, there is a connection that someone has with their spouse. We can discuss it. There is a problem. We want to work it out together. 
there's a time that we want to feel connected and we appreciate. We had a great day. We want to share that. Now, what happens if someone, for whatever reasons, which we'll get into a moment, is blocked? That means that they don't have the feelings. It means that they can't connect. Something happens and there's just no emotions. What happens then to the marriage if a wife wants to share? I had a great day. And he goes, okay, what's next? You know, we worked so hard on the kids to study. We're working three full weeks. The kid just got a 98 on the test. Look, we're successful. He goes, okay, very nice. What's for dinner? Or he's working very hard, and then he wants to share with his wife, and his wife goes, oh, I'm so tired, because right, whatever she had during the day, she's not able to connect and to share. What happens is there starts being a wedge between, which means feeling and understanding and working things out is an extremely critical part. I'm trying not to get that much into the halach aspect and into the svarim aspect, where it does get into how we're supposed to connect and how a couple, a shidduch between husband and the wife is just like the Rabbeinu Shleilam and Klal Yisrael. And how we're supposed to understand that it's Klal Yisrael and the Torah. We're all shidduchim over here. If you don't have to connect, what type of a connection do we want to have with the Rabbeinu Shleilam? We are Klal Yisrael, the Rabbeinu Shleilam, we're the wife, the Rabbeinu Shleilam is the husband. And we say, Rabbeinu Shleilam, please help us. Goodbye. According to the Hungarian Yid, you don't have to connect. There's no need to understand each other. No, there's got to be a lot more to that. But I don't want to take it into a into a from Yiddishkeit concept. I just want to get it out there. That in Yiddishkeit, I don't know how it, how accepted that concept is to what that person to what that person said. But let's go I, take I it think, to I your that, question. I think by by the uh, Yiddishkeit the world, it's, I think that even when Avraham, uh, uh, Sarah asked Avraham Avinu to uh, to do something, he Kadosh uh, Baruch told him, "Listen to Sarah." Yeah, you know. It's no question that we have to, to listen to each other. It's, it's not right. such a thing that not understanding. Because yeah. I, this is something that we, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us uh, two ears to listen. And uh, even, we don't, even if we, we don't like two ears sometimes. <laughs> yep. Yes. So even along those lines, now let's take it to this person, to his personal question, where he's saying that he doesn't feel anything. Why doesn't he feel? There are several... Two points I'd like to bring out, because you can go a lot of ways to that. But let's take step number one. Step one is that when someone has a difficulty feeling, they might have had a difficult childhood. And let me just give a muscle to that. Unfortunately, if someone is shot or someone is stabbed, they don't feel pain. They say they look down, they just see this red blotch uh, in, on their body. It's growing. Why? But if someone would cut themselves a little bit, we feel the pain. And the answer is that when the brain gets a tremendous shock or a big pain, what it will do is it will shut down the senses, the feeling senses, because it's going to say, this is too big for me to feel. But when it's a cut or something that's able to process, then it gives us the warning there's a cut. So understand that when people don't feel, many times it's because they have gone through too much of a trauma, they have been exposed to too much, that now the brain has shut down its feeling part. Too many people told me what to do. Too many people have told me i got to feel for so many things. I'm not able to. I wasn't able to rebalance the emotions to shut it down. So if, we get, if you get too much in your childhood, too much exposure to too much emotion, and it wasn't balanced, then, of course, it's going to shut us down. That's one way that the emotions are shut down. Another way could be that it might be that, you're, that your family is not that emotional and you weren't raised into utilizing your emotions. 
which means you can be like them in a family of a nature or in a nature that's not that emotional. But if you're in a family that is emotional, while you're raised, while your nature is not to be that emotional, you will be able to still connect to others, and you'll still be able to understand the emotional language because you're raised in there. But if your family doesn't express much emotions, and you by nature yourself, you're not that emotional, then that can explain why it's also harder for you to be emotional. However, and this is a point that I mention all the time, the rabbinish Shlelem will usually marry you off, will connect you, to someone that will be emotional for you to continue your growth in life and in growing. That means that what you need to be able to do is to learn to be more emotional, to be able to connect, yes, to your spouse, to, yes, be able to connect to your children, and, yes, to feel for Yisrael a certain level of pain that you should feel. Does it have to be anxiety? Absolutely not. Anxiety is never healthy, but concerned or feeling for them, it definitely is. Harvnissa, what do you say? You you said all <laughs> you said everything. Yeah. You know, I, I, what do you I say know. to this question that we got over here? It, hi, when a parent goes to therapy for anxiety, should he or she share that with their children? <coughs> and um, the number to call in is seven one eight six eight three fifty eight fifty eight seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. You know, it's 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 so wide. Uh, it's you. It's you. Uh, I would say you. You profession to say it, but I would say that depends on the age, depends what's going on in the house. If it's any tension in the house and something like this, uh, that as a problem, as to tell the kids that the parents taking some kind of courses and some kind of this to to eliminate more pressure. That's that's my. Uh, but again, it depends on the age of the kids. And depends what the situation. That's my point, uh, observation. But this is you, you field. Yeah. So I think you said it better, or you gave me more ideas than I had in mind. But that's exactly that. Which means I'd like to start the first level is when someone's going to therapy. I personally find it more a private topic. Means you know, there's no need to share it and don't share it. Not that you shouldn't. Not that it's not good. Later on, once you're in therapy, you're growing, you're uncovering, you're going deeper, that's when you start discussing it. Because I find people, to be, they talk about going to therapy, they go two sessions to therapy, they talk about they know therapy. Therapy is about you changing and growing within yourself. Now, why would there be a need to tell your children that you're going for therapy? Unless you're yelling and screaming, and now, like, let's assume they're little kids, they don't need to know that. The goal of therapy is to deal with your anxiety so you don't have to yell and scream. If you have adult children, they might have been pushing you for years to say, Mommy or Tati, it's hurting us. You've got to go. So you could say, yes, I'm finally going to therapy. But if you choose to, but you don't have to, they would see the proof is in the pudding. They will see the changes within you. Now, if there's an issue going on or you want to send your kids to therapy and they don't want to go because they say only crazy people go to therapy and you're in therapy, then you can say, by the way, there's nothing wrong going for therapy. I go for therapy. I had... Recently, a, a parent told me that they were telling the children, I want, you know, we feel you need medication. The kid goes, no, I don't want to be crazy. I don't want to go on medication. The parents said, well, do you think I'm crazy? And the kid said, no. He says, well, I'm on medication. So think about it. Consider it. So maybe disclosing it will help someone. That's good, and that's okay. But in general, I don't know the reason why you need to share that you're going to therapy. Now, if you want to share that therapy helps, you're successful, and you're brave enough to share that you've gone to therapy, definitely go ahead and share that. And that's something that I'm a believer in and sharing. But there are many people that like talking about it, but they're not in it. 
Talk about it when you're healing, when you're successful, when you've moved on. That's when you discuss it. During the process, keep it to you and to yourself. We are going to go to a caller to Mr. S. From with Mordechai and her Nissim. Hello? That's the number to call in. Yep, it's 7188 and she couldn't back, go back to the bed because she was scared. And uh, then uh, they told you that her brother also was scared to go to the bed because her sister, his, her sister, his, her, his sister fell. And, and yeah, I remember said, fell uh, off the bed, and this one fell off the bed, and I said, there's a lot more going on. Yeah. Right. How, how, it was several how months ago, you know? by the way. It wasn't four weeks ago. several months ago. Right. Yeah, was I, I, I wasn't sure how, how long. How, how would you tell that you, you said that maybe something... Uh, it's more than, than just that the, that the kid is, is scared. It's maybe because something with the parents are, is scared or something going on with the family. How would you figure out, I mean, how would somebody know that, that something is wrong with him, with the adult, like you're saying, not, and not with the children, or, or how even the children uh, would get it if it's nothing to do with them, if, if it's the adult is, is the one who's scared? So I'm not sure. Explain now. We have muzzle for this question that I happen to remember. You know, several months ago, that I remember the question in detail, and there are the the telltale factors that told me that there's more issues going on that you missed when you repeated the question. And what the mother said was, the kids were not afraid of mattresses. They're not afraid of the heights. Sorry. They were. They weren't. They're not afraid of the heights. They're afraid of mattresses. Of falling right. off mattresses. There's right. a very, very big difference. Understand the question. When the mother asked me, I said, oh, yeah, the kid was on top of the bed. They fell down. They hurt their hand. I understand why they're afraid. It makes sense. But then what the mother added on to her question was as follows. And I don't remember the details. Again, it's several months. Several months right. has passed since then. We have had many questions. But I remember, again, that question. Right, right. The mother was saying, no, the kids are afraid to go on mattresses even when it's lower, even on the second bunk bed. Correct, they're afraid correct, of the correct. Mat- Hold on, hold on, hold on. Afraid of the mattresses. Why is a kid afraid of a mattress if you tell me they're afraid of heights? And then what, I don't remember all the details, but I remember there was a lot more signs going on that about two kids now afraid of mattresses. Something doesn't sit right when you've got two young kids afraid of mattresses. Generally, from experience, there's something going on by the parents. Now, there were more to it at that conversation. So you're asking me again. I just need you to understand. You're asking me to defend the position that I said. Remember, I didn't diagnose that there is something wrong. What I said was something is fishy to me, and now it needs more a, an evaluation that we do in 45 minutes where I can ask more personal questions. We were on no, no, I don't... Mm-hmm. I understand. I just want to know how. Life? Sorry, I just understand what you what you saying, but I just I want to know how would let's say personally will will uh, let's say if, if if a kid is is scared of my house, how would I know maybe that maybe I'm passing the fear to him? How would I know that? I mean, Very that's why. If you have anxiety, rest assured you're probably going to pass it on to them. Yeah, be relaxed, be confident. You're probably going to pass it on. If not to all your kids to half your kids, to a third of your kids. But, yeah, if you have anxiety and you don't work on it, generally you see children that will have anxiety. If not the children, then the grandchildren. I'm sorry for being so blunt. I know it's very controversial, but that's the Matthias. 
Even if I don't show work it, on grandchildren of three generations, it takes so much longer, and then people go, why is it taking so long? And then it's because every time you get together, Yantiv, or Shabbos, you meet the family, everything is hysteric. And each one is machazik, each one's helping the other one, saying, oh, you know how scared I was, and that happened, I was petrified. And all you hear is stories about fears, and they reinforce each other with tragedies and traumas that are happening. All they talk about is tragedies and traumas. So it's because the kid sees your anxiety? No, I, don't, I don't want to limit it. I don't want to limit it to one answer. I don't want to make the human psyche into one reason. Because the kid sees. There are many reasons. There's a subconscious feeling. One of the reasons. When you're around, the kid, or around someone that has anxiety, I'll have anxiety when you're around someone that has anxiety. You're around a mother or a father that yells and screams. How come? Let's say it's not even you. You're in a place and someone is yelling and screaming. Oh, someone's petrified. Oh, hey, hey, I'm so scared. How long do you think it will take an effect before you'll start being scared? Just right, one level, just subconscious. Then cognitive. Then the brain hears over and over. There's messages that if you repeat over and over, that will go into the brain. So that's on a cognitive level, on a subconscious level. Then the behavioral. You start teaching the kids. Are you afraid? Were you okay? Aren't you afraid? Be careful when you cross. Be careful when you come. Be careful when you go. We are creating it on a behavioral level to be afraid. Did you watch when you cross? I see you didn't look four times when you're crossing. You only looked once. How many times did you check your answer before you gave it in? Once or four times? You know why you made the mistake? Because you only checked it twice. You didn't check it four times, like I told you. But isn't it the parents' natural? Hmm? Isn't the parents' natural thing to to like to tell the kids why they didn't watch the the road three or four times before you cross, or, or etc. I mean, it's not that. So I'll recognize anxiety and normal fears or normal concerns. There's a big difference. If you see someone ah. with anxiety, you see someone that's afraid. Someone, unfortunately, when they hear the tragedies, what's happening now in Eretz where people are being stabbed in the streets, those right. that have anxiety, <gasps> and you have to hear them talk about it. Someone that is saying, we need to dive, we need to dive, this fear. I don't need to tell you the difference. You tell me. Do you know someone that has anxiety? Do they respond the same way to someone falling off a bed? Or when someone, or someone that is healthy and doesn't have anxiety, how do they respond if the kids fall off the bed? Would you see a difference between the two? Uh-huh. Okay. Does no, that make thank sense? you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling in. The number to call in is 718-683-5858. And we're going to go to Mrs. L. Mrs. L, you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissen. Yes. Hi. Good evening. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I was wondering if you could help me. I have, a, I would say, like a one-year-old baby, and he oh. could cry... Yeah. One of the policies that we try not to do is deal with parenting questions under the age no, of eight. No, it's about myself. I mean, maybe ah. you'll tell me it's parenting, but I don't know. He could cry a lot. And my question is, why is it that I could get very nervous when he keeps crying and I feel like I can't think straight and I can't function when he screams in the background? Is it your first child? Yes. All right, well, let's just tell you then this, because this is general snow. You're normal. That's the defense that the Rebbein Shalem has given every child. means imagine a kid cries and it doesn't affect the parents, so we're not going to go to them. We'll just say, okay, we'll go later. What's the big deal? doesn't have to be now. Hashem purposely made it that that brain, that shriek goes straight into our head. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean, and here's, so where, here's where the parenting, I'm not going next, next I'm me. not answering your next question. I don't even want to hear your next question. Uh-huh. I think the next question is going to be a parenting. I will tell you this amount, 
that part of what you will learn in a parenting workshop or where you'll get training or where you'll have your family to help you out is that kids are allowed to cry. And it's not uh-huh. supposed to affect you that much. If it uh-huh. does, then you need a little guidance. Uh-huh. Okay. One-on-one. All right? Now, Thank you so much. what are the chances that your next question was going to be, so if they cry and how much it will affect me and should I let them cry or shouldn't I let them cry? What was, no, my what question was is, is something wrong with me? Do I have anxiety or something that I get nervous while other people can stay calm when their babies well, cry? No, it's normal. But if you still get nervous knowing that it's normal, then you might just need just to talk to someone, like one of the parentings, whoever does those parenting workshops, one of the Rebbitsons, just to see, figure out what's going on. Why is he getting you nervous? Uh-huh. Many times it's an expectation. You need to be better. Many times it's a certain feeling that something's supposed to happen. It could be that you were neglected as a kid and therefore that. It could be you cried no one ever came to you. Then it could be deeper, but... Just understand, when your baby cries, it's supposed to get you nervous. And when your baby cries and cries and cries, it's normal to get you nervous. And if someone's got a baby that's a colicky, it's normal for you to be nervous. You need to take more breaks to be, be able to balance yourself. Okay. That's normal. It's healthy and appropriate. But okay. for you to stay nervous is not. It means now you're aware that it's normal for it to happen, but I've got to learn balancing systems, balancing techniques. Okay. Excellent. Thank you for the question. Thank you. The number, you're welcome. The number to call is 718-683-5858. And we're going to go to Mrs. M. Mrs. M., you're on with Mordechai and Harav Nissim. Yes, hi. I just wanted to know um, about a job. How much, how much is it healthy to be dependent on it to make, to make you happy and to keep you happy? Um, how do I know if it's if it's a healthy thing, if I'm in a job where I'm really, like, I'm stimulated and everything, then I have a good year and I'm happy. Or when I'm in a job, uh, like, I'm in a job where it's not so stimulating, am I allowed to be dependent on it? Could it? Is it normal for it not to make, to make me have not such a good year? Let's try your question a little bit different. And let's try to make it simple. Um, it's, it's a very loaded question. Harvinisna, how would you deal with this? Uh, Mordechai, the true, I wasn't uh, into the question. Uh, if you can repeat, because I was a phone. No, phone All right, ask the question. I feel I'd like Harvinisna to take it. Oh, can you repeat you the repeat question? It? Yeah, okay, I'll repeat it. Her question is, how much, how, how much should a person's happiness be dependent in their job? means if they don't have such a good job, then they're, supposed to, then they're down. Or if they have a good job, they're happy. Is it supposed to be that much? How much? Uh, I, I think I think that uh, everything is. Not, and I would say that job, it's a job, and everything in life, it's something that in 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 inside ourselves. Right now, that I know that you get if you're not happy in your job, something that inside yourself is not happy, and uh, it's bothering you. And some people are annoying you. That the happiness it has to become from the inside. You know, we said besimcha uh, is the letters in our brain basically this is what and also simcha in the letter is to feel to feel the kadosh baruch the feeling this is the simcha this is the happiness and i think that we can try we're always trying to find excuses it's not me it's the other part of the job it's i don't know i i have to go early i have to go late and the, the people not nice we have to find in our jobs something that really, really like and to find the, 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 the on your job. 
And this is like something that you have very important. It's very difficult. Many times it's very difficult if you have some kind of boss that is very uh, nervous or something. But try to find this and try to find yourself on this issue that what's, what is really happiness. It's not a job, it's the stimula- stimulation. It's, I think it's, more, it's very important to have stimulation. The part of it was that um, one, t- uh, one year I was in a job where I was very stimulated and I really was happier that year. And another year I was in a job where I was really not stimulated and I was really not so happy that year. And I thought that maybe it was from me, maybe I thought it was my problem. But when I went to the job where I was really, really stimulated and I felt like I was doing a lot of my life and I was... You know, I had more of a setback. I really did feel happy. So I started thinking that it's not coming from me. It's coming from the job. It's, I, I, think, I think that the, mo- the most important things, yes, definitely, that sometimes if you have a job that has stimulation and good feedback, it make a, a lot of changing. But I, I would say that if you give your own you know, guts on this the job and you see that... Uh, I would say that the environment around it will be changed. You have to create more stimulation. I think so. You know, this, this is my, my point of view. If I go to a place and I don't find myself over there, I try to put my own self, myself in, in and create my own niche, my own place, and breaking the walls, uh, the, the invisible walls, and trying to bring it uh, to the people around me. That's, that's the point. And that's what I see my life. This is my, my life, you know, because we try, we always feeling, you know, sometimes it's not stimulated. We are, we're down. Somebody didn't give us a, a good word about our, our job. And uh, it's, it's all, all, everything around us that the surrounding. But if we giving our art and giving our, our completion and, and try to stimulate ourselves, I think this is you can create a different world around yourself. Yep. And I would even like to add on to exactly what Saravnissa said and to what you said. It means there is a balance. It means we have to enjoy our work. It's because we spend many hours there. We need to feel we're productive. We also need to have to know that within ourselves, if we don't enjoy the work, that we can create the happiness in the work, in the job, as Saravnissa said, many times, not many times, most of the time. If we are happy and we put the effort in it, we could then create that in the job, the happiness. At the same time, for you to realize that if you had one job that was more stimulating that you enjoyed, another job that was less stimulating, and you did not enjoy that, you might recognize now what your nature is, that your nature is you like high-stimulating jobs. And right, it's important I know that. For you. I know that I, I had a very stimulating life. Great, so let's stop there a second. So now you're aware of your nature. Does that make sense? Right. Your so nature is, it, is you is need a stimulating job. Is there something wrong with job. me that I want to switch, I want to change jobs because of such a reason? Well, let's not use the word change jobs. It means you're going to be focusing to jobs that are higher stimulating. Now, should you change or not? That's your decision. You've got to take a whole bunch of points into Hezbin. How much are you making? How close is the ride? Will this job really stimulate you? What are the downsides to that job? It's very easy to focus on the negatives or positives of one, but not at the rest. Mm-hmm. It's that all those you need to take into a point, into account. Mm-hmm. But there is, is nothing, there's nothing really so wrong with ch- switching and changing a job if you're, if you're thinking that you might not be happy a whole year. Is there well, again, now we need to recognize, again, you've just asked, you've just asked a, a black and white question that has lots of gray areas. Are you someone that you are able to stick to jobs? Are you someone that's consistent in all areas? 
So then is this is something that it's okay to change. Are you someone that when things don't go well and you think it's better somewhere else, you change? Are you someone that has changed a lot? Then you need to learn know how to make certain things work. It's not a black and white question that you just asked. It can make sense to change jobs if you think you will be happier. On the other hand, sometimes if you've done commitment, you've committed to something, the people, if you're going to leave, how are they going to manage without you? What are the rules or what have both of you agreed on is the termination process? Do you just leave? Do you give two weeks' notice or do you have to give them three months' notice? There's now others involved in this choices that you need to realize. Uh, Isn't this choice so important? Because I realized that when I stuck at a job that wasn't stimulating, I had a very hard year. I had a very, very So let's stop a second. Let's go ahead and take this question that you just asked. And we've got several comments that were sent to me regarding this question um, from what we had about that Hungarian person that said, the person prior, pre-war, that he said that in marriage, two people gave me comments. So one person gave a comment that this person is saying that today in America, marriages, we don't understand, people don't understand each other, they just divorce. And another one said, another one sent me another message similar to that. Let me just see that. Um... All right, wherever that is, but similar to that about the people should be sticking it out. Here it is. As someone who turned over the world to try to make my marriage work, I want to say I understand what the person is saying. You don't always have to understand why something is important to the other person, as long as you understand that it's important to them and respect that. Now, yes, you need to make sure you're going to have a good year, but you're also an adult, and that's why I want to take out from this message that people are taking from this pre-war yid, that there are other people involved as well. Part of the issue with this generation, now I'm not saying that's with you, but we don't stick it out to the end. We're that, we're that plastic cookie-cutter generation. Hello? Sorry. Yes, sorry. Yeah. Okay, fine. Sorry. Yeah. So there is a cookie-cutter generation that we're going into that. If I'm not happy, if I will have a hard year, who said you'll have a hard year? Maybe you've got to learn how to make it work. And if you committed to something, what is your responsibility to them? Maybe you have zero responsibility to them. Maybe you have more responsibility to them. But it's not just about I, not just about me. And that's where many marriages are having difficulties, where everyone's busy, but I need to grow. Part of your growth is to learn how to stay put. Part of your growth is to learn how to say, well, I've committed to something. Now, how will I learn to make the best of this? Because every field, every business is going to have a time that you're going to hate it. I promise you and guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. Now, how are you going to learn to find the inner happiness in the situation? I got the greatest proof. How, have, how many times have you wanted to leave yourself saying, I really, oh, I'm not good. The other person is so much better. And that's the problem, that we're not sticking around to ourselves. We're not investing in ourselves. We're not making ourselves enjoyable with ourselves. We're busy running away from ourselves. We're busy running and chasing all day. So therefore, I'm not going to give you the cookie-cutter answer of yes or no, are you supposed to leave or not. You need to do the cheshvan and nefesh within yourself. Do you need to learn how to be responsible? Mm-hmm. So okay, now what fine. do you Thank think you is... Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Very, you. very much so. The to call in is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Looking forward to taking your questions. And we have over here Miss B on the line. 
Hello. Hello, Miss B. Yes. Can you also just close the recording, the radio in the background? Oh yeah, one second. Make it away. Yes. Um, I have a comment for the lady who called in about her crying baby. Yes. And it's something that you didn't address, and I think you should address it. So first of all, she has to see why is the baby crying. Most one-year-olds are usually finished with colic and don't cry. And number two is, is she, like, obsessed with because it's her first baby? Is she, like, obsessed that her house has to be spotless and supper has to be on the table, that she's not giving the kid the proper time of day to make him calm? Because kids sense when a mother's not calm, they cry, and that's why she's getting nervous. When you have kids later on, you realize they're like, forget about the house, feed the kid, take care of the kid, and make him happy, as opposed to, I have to do something else. Of course the husband's calm. He's not doing all those stuff and taking care of a baby. But she has so many responsibilities that she's getting nervous that she can't do other responsibilities and take care of a baby. So before she looks at her neglectful youth, and that's why she's getting nervous, it's a practical thing. She has too much to do, and she has to let something go help or make something work that she should be able to take care of her baby or make sure that the baby is healthy and is not screaming for no reason. Am I making sense? You're making a lot of sense, and I very, very much appreciate that. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, let's make the assumption I thought of that. Why do you think I didn't mention that? I'm sorry. I, I don't hear. What are you saying? Let's make the assumption I heard what I, I had that idea as well. Uh-huh. Why did I not mention that? Why would I go to her youth? and not mention drop perfectionism? Um, maybe because <laughs> the answer you're going to give me is not going to be happy, but maybe because you never experienced it. You weren't a mother. <laughs> nope. And me, as the a mother, experienced such things. The answer is because many or most mothers, when you were having the first child, we have our parents that are reassuring us, the kid is crying, what do I do? If you have a healthy connection to parents, your parents are going to be guiding and telling you this is so normal, I'm helping you relax, let go, don't be busy, either I'll make you supper or don't worry about it, take care of the children. The reason why I'm going to the past is because I'm making an assumption that she's not having someone that's just giving her that basic information, and which means that's why I was guiding her to speak to someone because I felt there's a lot of basic information that she's missing and she's not getting. Because if uh-huh. you have a healthy mother and relationship, that's something a mother would tell you. Not everybody has a mother. No, not everybody. Maybe. I hear you. Okay. Uh, now you go. Now, whoever doesn't have a mother to tell them that, now we're going into their youth where they're missing it. And where they no, they just have to go straight there. I hear you. I can, okay, I thanks so much. 50, I just want you to realize, I can, first of all, I appreciate the information that's accurate and very valuable. Now, I also wanted to clarify why I didn't do it, and I wanted you to understand I did not say it, not as you assume, because I was never a mother. I can give you ten reasons. I just know off the hand, because remember, I work with people all day. This is a right. very common issue. And many times, I'll give you another five reasons why what's happening that she's going nervous besides for her past. Number one, she's, as you said, she's a perfectionist to the house. Number no, two, I'm not saying she's a perfectionist per se. Most women, that's what they want to be perfectionist in everything. They're trying to do everything at the same time, but they don't realize that a baby is really a full, full-time uh, job, and something ahead. has to go. Reason. Give me three more reasons. What I teach people in therapy, and one of the ways that we learn in college that we try not to get our perception involved, others, is 
we try to come up with other reasons besides for the way that I see it. So you have one reason that you uh-huh. say maybe new mothers want to be there. Can you give me two more reasons? So we just come up with three. You're getting training over here, a little how to be a therapist, that it's not your perception that you're putting in there. What are two other reasons why a mother can be overwhelmed when the one-year-old baby is crying? To, uh, um... Two more reasons, because remember, now you're talking from your experience. We try to, as a therapist, we try not to only bring in our experience. We try to see other experiences. I could give you another one. Maybe she doesn't have such a good show and bias. I could give you another one. Maybe Parnassa is tight. I can give you another reason. Maybe the last couple of weeks she wasn't feeling well. She has some, and she's up at night, and she doesn't have koya. You see, you went into one assumption what it can be. As therapists, we learn not to make assumptions. We learn to ask. I hear you're right. Anything, any out, um, any outside factor can make you nervous when anything right. like this That's happens. Hundred percent. To have a support system. That's why I was leading her to get a support system and help for it, where she can get some basic guidance. So therefore, instead of me now taking it on air and start finding out what's going on, which I felt I didn't want to do for her, for whatever. Uh, now I'm not going to say what else was going through my mind by speaking to her. So uh-huh. what I felt was if she would have the healthy support system, a lot of these things will be worked out. Uh-huh. See, that's why you're the therapist. Thank you no, so much. No, I've, now, let's talk, so I just gave you some of the thoughts. When I get a question or an answer, there's a lot more that goes in mind that I usually don't say. However, one of the points that you mentioned is one of the things that went through my mind. And uh-huh. That's why I asked, is she a first-time mother? It might also right. be that she, doesn't, that, that she might be holding the kid too much and she's not sleeping. Every time the kid cries, she's holding it, and she's not, there's, there might be a lot be going on. Maybe the baby's right. now turning a year and she changed the bottles from formula to milk. Right. There's other stuff going on. There's right. so much going on that I wasn't ready to go into that, but I appreciate that you brought that up, that concept and that idea, because it could be simple as that. So for you to bring it up was excellent. For me, my mind was going down several different paths what it might have been happening. Okay. Thank you Thank so much. You. you do a great job. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the chizik. And we are going to over here, Harav Nissen, to Mrs. G. Mrs. G, you're on with Mordechai. Hello? Would you like to ask the question? Yep, the number is seven. Yeah, it's Mr. G here. Sorry, go ahead. Hey, it's Mr. G. Miss or Mrs.? Mr. Mr. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Mr. G. Yeah, hi. So, I have a problem when I, I don't like to cut my nails because when I cut it, it afterwards it, it bothers me and it's uncomfortable for the next two days. Like, so, why do I like to cut it? Do you cut it too deep? No, I cut it regular. So explain what it means it's uncomfortable. Everything I touch, it's like bothers me. It makes some chills, kind of. Can, can you give me an age group that you're in? Are you, let's say, between 7 and 13, 18 and 20, 20 and 30, 30 and 40? Just 7 and 13. Eight. 7 and 13. So what I would just mention words out there, because I don't know you and I'm not sure what's going on, but I would mention to your parents to hear the question, just to hear the word sensory. That's it. Looking, look into the word sensory and... You know, I'll, I'll, we'll talk two minutes about what sensory is. Sensory is that when we start feeling things or things happen, we feel it on a stronger level than others. That means sometimes when people would wear clothing, some kids would wear clothing, they feel it tighter. 
Some kids don't feel enough, so they need to feel they need to be hugged tighter to feel hugged. Or when they tap someone on the back, someone won't feel too much. And someone needs to give a good zest just to feel that they touch. So it's a sensory issue. Many times it's with clothing. Many times it's with touch. Sometimes it's even like you're saying with cutting nails. That after that, you're feeling everything so much. So do you find that you have other things that are also very much, very tight for you by touching? You like to feel if something's hot or cold or something is too much for you? Or you have an issue with the clothing, you feel it's too tight? Um, yes. Yes, could you give me more words? Yes, what? By the way, your parents give you permission to call in, correct? Yeah, my mother is right near. Okay, very good. So can you tell me one or two other places where you're touching things and you're feeling like things are a little, they're too much? Well, you know what? Let's leave it here. We don't have to do that. Now, you're between 7 and 13. We've just given your mother where to start looking into. Look into the idea and the subject of sensory integration, sensory issues. And we're going to go probably to our last caller, to Ms. B. Ms. B, you're on with Mordechai and her of Nissim. Hi. Yes. Hello? Okay. Cold. Looks like... Hello? Yeah. Okay, it seems like cold feet. Okay, we'll ah, go, we want like to take another caller. No Mi problem. Mr. P? Mr. P, you're on with Mordechai and Herav Nissen. We've got two minutes to go. Let's go ahead. So, Hello? Okay. Yes. So it's not Mr. P. I have a question. Um, I have a child that just started high school, and... Yeah. It is not a very, very positive experience for this child. And this child doesn't want to go back to school, and I don't know what to do for this child. So what do I do for this child? That's vague. Can you explain to me what the question is? Your kid was successful in, in elementary school, and now they're going to high school, and now they're having a very difficult time. No, they don't like the high school they're in. Right. And the child rather be out of town than be in Brooklyn. What's the difference between so, out of town and in Brooklyn? I can't hear you. What's the difference between the two? Away from the house. That's the difference. What's the difference if you're high school in the house or not? That's what I'm trying to ascertain, but I don't know. Well, that's what we need to find out. Is there something going on in the house that they don't want, or is there something that they're trying to avoid? Or are there other stuff going on? Well, I'll tell you what. we got about 30 seconds to go, so I'll give you a little bit of homework. Call up next week, and during that time, ask your son or your daughter, why do they want to go out of town? Why don't they not want to? I'm assuming it's a boy. Why don't they want to be in the house? Is it a house? Is it something about the schools here? Is it about friends that they have? What's the purpose that they want to change? There's no office in the school. That's the problem. No, no. Get, make a list. The four or five points, and that's our goal. Get the list four or five points, Mr. Shem Kola, next week. I'd like to thank everyone for calling in for your questions and your comments. And Harav Nissen, thank you for another amazing week. Thank you very much. Hopefully, listen to you next week. Merit Hashem, and there should be a, a Yeshua to call your soul, especially in Eretz Yisrael. Amen.